the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome into the show. I am Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you want to get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800 516 1220 to get your calls in the air or shoot me an email chat at chadburton.com uh to get oh and by the way hope to see many of you boy i guess it's tomorrow evening already in palo alto we've got some spaces left retirement income strategies rob black and i are going to be in palo alto at the elks lodge 6 30 p.m talking retirement income strategies how do you transition your portfolio when do you basically take profits and live off of those profits. How do you invest for income in a low interest rate environment? Those types of items. We're talking all about it, so check that out. You can go to chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com. It's Radio 25. If you've not been to an event and you want to get in for free, use the code Radio 25. Um, what I was going to talk about today is J.P. Morgan Asset Management. had a report that they put out. 2018 long-term capital market assumptions. And they explain that the long-term return for a traditional 60-40 stock bond portfolio, which is, they say, a reasonable proxy for the average asset allocation over a typical participant's lifespan, their expected return is has declined to 5.25% annually from 5.5% last year. Now, that type of a portfolio last year should have given you double-digit returns, especially if you were in any international exposure at all, which crushed the U.S., even though the U.S. had an amazing year. Now, why do they say that? Why do they do that? And this is why I've talked in the past about different tests you can put your retirement portfolio through. And one of them is just the linear cash flow test, where once you've done a really good job of figuring out what your expenses are, and that's including everything from what's going to get you out of bed every day, like, are you going to play golf? Are you going to work, do some work for your favorite charity, watch your grandkids? I don't know, whatever it is, travel. What's going to get you out of bed? How are you going to pay bills, put food on the table? And how are you going to pay taxes? And how are you going to pay the five to $600 a month minimum average monthly costs of health insurance in retirement, you've done a good job in assuming all of those expenses. And then you assume an inflation rate of at least 6% on healthcare costs and 2.6% on all of your other costs for inflation. And can your portfolio last till age 100 if you only receive about a 55 to 5.25% rate of return? If you look from 2007 to 2017, that's what a balanced global portfolio did because of the massive correction we had in 2008 and 2009, where the S&P 500 was down 48% or so. And I think it took like, what, 1,300 and some days to recover. I've done a whole show on the, the peak to trough. 
And if you have a long-term situation like that throughout retirement, can your portfolio last? And then the next couple of tests are things like, you know, the order of stock market returns, like Monte Carlo simulations. Now, why are they using this number of 5.25% on a balanced portfolio? Well, okay, so if you look at the stock market, the stock market is average, depending on which time frame, 10 to 11% over your lifetime, pretty consistently over 10, 15, 20-year periods. And it's, it's important to realize the market's positive 70% of the time. When the market's positive, the returns are typically over 13%. When the market is negative, same thing. It's very rarely that the market gives you that return of right around 10%, 11%. Um, so years like last year are not out of the ordinary. People just forget pretty quickly. But I think what they're looking at is they're saying, okay, if, if stocks have averaged 10 to 11% over time, and we've we had a huge year in 2014. 2015 was flat. 2016, huge year. The expected growth from tax cuts and potential infrastructure spending, some of that's being pulled forward right now. And because of demographics and interest rates and things like that, they're assuming about a 7% rate of return on stocks. And here's why I look at that. Because we know what the rate of return is on bonds right now. It's the most conservative bond funds that aren't subject to massive swings on interest rate increases or credit issues in the market. They're yielding about 2.8%. So 40% of the portfolio in this situation is yielding 2.8%. That's about four. If you, let's say you had a million dollar portfolio, 40%, that's 400,000. At 2.8%, that's 11,200 a year. So that means they're assuming that the rest, the 60% that's in stocks, is earning about 7%. So if you had 60% or a million dollar portfolio, 600,000 in stocks, earning 7%, that's 42,000. So that's your, you know, those two numbers that I'm giving you right there, the 7% on stocks, 2.8% on bonds, that's around a 5.32%. So that's right in between kind of their old assumption of the 5.5 and their new one of 5.25. So they could be even assuming stocks are going to give you a little bit lower rate of return than that, or bonds are going to go through a tough period and have a couple of negative years. So that is something that you need to realize, though, that this this could be real. That's why I say one of the retirement tests you need to do, can your portfolio last if you receive about 55 in this case, 5.25% rate of return over your entire 35 years of retirement? Will you still be okay? And if not, you might need to maybe work a few more years longer. And look, when you work one year longer in retirement or during your working years and you delay retirement for one year, it typically buys you two years in retirement, sometimes three. Because instead of stopping contributing to a portfolio, your portfolio is growing and you're still feeding it. So it's a compound situation. That's why working one extra year can buy you two to three years extra in retirement in most times we, that we do projections. And you're, you know, look, when I got into the business 24 years ago, it was the reverse of this allocation in retirement typically. It was typically 40 to 50% in stocks, the rest in bonds. And so people are already going out a little bit more on the risk curve, I guess you could say and going more like 60-40. Now, my favorite type of portfolio in retirement is you separate your three years' worth of portfolio draws, you leave that in cash, and the rest is about 65-35. So, 
And that's usually, you know, 60% in equities, 5% in some alternatives like managed futures and the rest in fixed income. Some people don't have the ability to stomach that risk, that, that volatility once they retire because it, people's risk tolerance changes the closer and closer they get to retirement because they're, they go from feeding this portfolio, watching it grow to a limited resource, and then they pay too much attention to it sometimes. So that's not a recommendation for you. That's my favorite. That's what I would do in addition to having real estate, positive cash flow properties um, on the side. So I love, I love all my asset classes. I love my real estate, my stocks, my bonds, my cash. Well, I don't love my bonds right now. You know, I'm, you know, 43 years old. I don't really own any bonds at this point in time. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. Um, if you're conservative and you can't handle fluctuations. Now, rates, rates are rising, though, so the bond should give us more returns. Yeah. Bonds should should pay more yields. Well, you have Bill Gross yesterday confirming a bear market in bonds, he was saying. He, you know... I wouldn't get spooked out of that. I would make sure you paying attention to the type of bond funds that you own and own some unconstrained bonds where they have the ability to hedge some rates and go some to some different places. Uh, tips look attractive because of interest, uh, potential inflation, then they could go buy tips, for example. Gary Schilling, founder of A. Gary Schilling & Company, Economic Research and Money Management, he doesn't buy it. He thinks inflation is going to stay tame, and a lot of it has to do with the participation rate in the labor force going down so much. So a lot of people that used to be looking for work aren't anymore. So he won't he's not buying this wage inflation. Talk a little bit more about it after the break if you want to get your calls in there. No, just shoot me an email instead. Chad at Chadburton.com. We'll be back. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. Hello, hello. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Got a big event coming up tomorrow night in the Bay Area. You can sign up for it at newfocusfinancial.com. It's retirement income strategies and estate planning uh, tied towards the new year, protecting your estate from long-term care costs, measuring your risk, social security strategies, minimizing your return on income taxes. Oh, I talked to a CAPA just the other day about that exact thought. Thank you, Donald Trump, for hurting California and New York and Connecticut in an attempt to basically go after the Democrat states, right? The United States. Uh, the United States. Uh, Palo Alto, Elks Lodge, tomorrow night, 630 to 830. Big event. It's tied towards income strategies and estate planning. You can sign up at robblackshow.com, robblackshow.com, or newfocusfinancial.com. Use the code RADIO25 to get in for free. Time is running out, just so you know. A uh, couple thoughts, couple thoughts, couple thoughts, couple thoughts. Movie Pass is one of those runaway hits. Not like a runaway train, but a runaway hit. For $9.99 or $10 per month, you get unlimited movies where you can go to the movie and you get a pass. Publicly traded Helios and Matheson. Everyone thinks this company is going to fail and now they've hit one and a half million subscribers. I like it. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of going to movies 
theaters. I like the idea of popcorn that someone else pops, not my microwave. I like it, I like it, I like it. And I would use it as long as it's available to be used, because it ain't going to be there forever, and they'll change the pricing, they'll change something. But initially, to draw people in, they're giving away the kit and the caboodle, so to speak. Some movie pass in the news today. Um, what else is in the news today? A million-dollar nest egg. It's long been considered the, the, the benchmark for a secure retirement. One million dollars. Sadly, when we could make billion. Exactly. You need more than just a million dollars. A 67 year old baby boomer retiring now with a million dollars will generate roughly $40,000 to live on. Adjusted for inflation, assuming a sustainable withdrawal rate of 4%. But a 42-year-old who's $1 million at retirement will only generate an adjusted for inflation $19,000 in a year. When all is said and done, the 32-year-old millennial planning to retire at $67 million would be below the poverty line. So you're needing more than a million. If you're a baby boomer, you're okay. If you're a Generation Xer, you're not so much okay. And if you're a millennial, you're in poverty. How long does a nest egg of one million really last? Oh boy, that's not a good good news story to start with today, is it? I feel like I should find something happier. <laughs> is there happier out there? Uh, stock market is starting to look at interest rates and go, uh-oh, this is going to be one of those, what I would refer to as an inverse correlation it's a focal point. It's something we're thinking about as a 10-year treasury marches higher. The 10-year treasury is marching higher like a parade, like a Rose Bowl parade, so to speak. And Wall Street doesn't like it. Just throwing that out at you. Elsewhere out there today, what do we have as far as big stories go? Um, 37% generation Xers say they won't be able to afford retirement. Generation Xers, that's me. I feel like my, my inner Nirvana, inner Nirvana, uh, my, my inner Kurt Cobain is showing right now. Nearly four out of ten Generation Xers, 37%, born between 65, 1965 and late 70s, say they would like to stop working for good and fully retire someday. But they're all behind in saving for retirement. That's terrible. That's terrible. 49% are worried about running out of money once they leave the workforce. Two out of 10 say they aren't saving or investing for anything. Wow, 20% of my fellow fellows aren't saving for anything? Wow. Only a third expect to be re, uh, secure in retirement. And we rushed out and did things. Our parents bought a house, we bought a house. Millennials are waiting to buy a house until it's like the perfect time to buy a house. They're buying houses, but they're waiting for the perfect time. So that's out there. Man, I'm stressed out today. This is not good. I need a day off. And I just had like nine days off, right? Oh, I need a drink. And it's too early to drink. Can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. I'm taking just a so breather. You know. Sorry. Oh, good God. You you again, my inner voice. You. Big uh, retirement income strategy is a state planning event. Palo Alto Elks Lodge. Tomorrow night, Palo Alto. 
Okay, now I'm channeling my inner McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And that's never a bad thing. Until it's a bad thing. And you're playing bongos, buck naked in the middle of the night, and cops knocking on your door. And that's... Ladies no good. ExxonMobil, one of the stocks that I'm thinking about, thinking about. Uh, oil's moved higher quickly this year. And there's a little bit of stress in the Middle East. ExxonMobil. Um, very interesting. Chevron Texaco, very interesting. So, elsewhere are out there. Um, a lot of stocks are getting like a lot of news right now, like Intuitive Surgical. It's the beginning of the year, and people look at the beginning of the year, and they go, what stocks can I buy? Uh, Intuitive Surgical, they make the Da Vinci Surgical System for robot-assisted minimally invasive surgeries. Um, Their shares showed up a big 73% gain in 2017, and Wall Street's still investing in them. Just throwing that out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. San Jose and Raleigh are the hottest housing markets in the United States right now. Home values in San Jose have risen 17% over the past year. Ooh. Ooh. The median home value now in San Jose is $1.1 million. It's expected to grow about 8.9% this year. Raleigh, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina are both doing well, and all three have something in common, stronger incomes and population growth. Uh, Top real estate markets for jobs right now, where the jobs are, real estate tends to go up. Seattle, San Francisco, Austin, Denver, Nashville, Portland, and Dallas. Big event coming up tomorrow night. You can sign up for it at the Palo Alto Elks Lodge by going to Rob Black's show, Rob Black's show, and use code RADIO25 to get in for free. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220, KDOW. Reefing.com has been a trusted relationship of mine for 20 years now. Joining me to talk about the new year and the outlook for the economy and the stock market, Patrick O'Hare. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. It's nice to be back with you. Happy New Year, so to speak. Yeah, likewise. With that being said, uh, it's going to be a happy New Year on Wall Street. We we got that triumphant. We got the um, Santa Claus rally happened the five to seven days after Christmas. Everything went up. Then we got the first five days of the stock market in January going up. And then if we close out January, it's it's proven fact that 93% of the time the market goes up for the year. Uh, are we going to get there, do you think? What's your thoughts? Well, that's right. It tends to be a, a pretty encouraging indicator when uh, not only the first week of January goes well, but when the month of January goes well. And I think really the answer to uh, 2018 is, is going to rest in what goes on with, with interest rates. And uh, okay. you know, if interest rates remain relatively low, uh, then the stock market has a reasonable chance to have another up year. <laughs> And is that what we're expecting at this point in time? And if we're expecting it, isn't that a bad thing? Because you always should be looking out for what 
doesn't happen. Like we've never predicted a bad year, but high oil or terrorism or um, Russia invading a country, something will happen to mess up a predicted well year. Is that not true? Well, you would you would think, but of course, as we saw, you know, consistently throughout 2017, anything that was you know bad from a news standpoint certainly did not disrupt the equity market. Whether we were talking about you know North Korea uh, uh, bolstering its nuclear arsenal or some of the you know heightened political uncertainty surrounding tax reform and the repeal of Affordable Care and you know, the investigation into Russia's meddling in the election, uh, you know, the markets continue to, to fight on, if you will, and, and uh, didn't suffer any meaningful pullback of any kind throughout 2017. And that was largely the case because it had some really strong uh, underlying fundamental support in the fact that interest rates were low, inflation was low, and earnings growth was strong. You know, and of course, you've layered on top of that the uh, the optimism over potential tax reform and what it could do to help lift earnings in 2018. Uh, those were sustaining factors. So, so we know, I think, looking at 2018, you know, what the um, uh, what the support structure could be or needs to be to keep things on the up and up. And so if you can continue strong earnings growth, uh, continue low inflation, and continued low interest rates, uh, you know, those are important fundamental support structures for the equity market. And, and at the least, it should you know, prevent a, uh, you know, a major sell-off in the equity market doesn't mean you have to go, you know, sky high necessarily, but, uh, but it's the type of uh, fundamental foundation that should keep things, uh, you know, relatively stable here for investors. So that's why everyone seems to be keeping a close eye on, on interest rate developments right now and those forces that are going to ultimately drive interest rates like inflation trends, uh, what's going on with, uh, you know, the Bank of Japan and the ECB and what uh, their monetary policy moves might be. Um, so, so you know, clearly it's, it's a major focal point here as uh, 2018 unfolds. Mm-hmm. Now, 2017 was another great year for Facebook, for Amazon, for Netflix, for Google Alphabet, for Apple. It seems like we're writing, we're surfing on that. It seems like, I mean, I own a lot of Apple and I'm stinking wealthy because of it. Um, should I sell? Do we, do we continue to ride the big boys, so to speak? Um, are you worried that that has become a story? Own Facebook, get wealthy. Own Amazon, get wealthy. Own Netflix, get wealthy. Uh, do you see where I'm trying to go with this question? Yeah, you know, and, and I think, Rob, you know, obviously the answer always boils down to what everyone's individual risk tolerance and time horizons are. <clears throat> now, if we sure. take a step back and look at things in a general sense, those stocks you've named have had huge runs, uh, and uh, and they've been um, uh, some would argue that you know they've been crowded, if you will, in terms of everybody you know funneling into those names, and that can create you know a little bit of uh, you know of a dislocating factor in the event you get some exogenous factor that really disrupts the market or those individual names, and you see a mass exodus. You know, at the same time, you could. You know, all of a sudden, see a you know material setback in those stocks. So, probably after a run like those, you know, maybe the more prudent thing is is to 
um, you know, trim some of those positions, reallocate that money into some other areas that might not have done as well uh, if you have a long-term mindset. But, you know, with the latter having been said, if you do have a long-term mindset, uh, you know, a lot of people probably have gotten into those names at a much lower cost basis so they can afford to ride out some of the near-term volatility that might lead to some setbacks in those those leading names, uh, which are clearly companies that are here for the long haul and, uh, you know, are major powers in their respective niches. So this has been a big year in 2017 where Donald Trump and President Donald Trump got his tax reform uh, pushed through. 2018 is setting up for midterm elections, and as an investor, I get nervous. I always try to find things that could go wrong. I always try to find things that could upset the market. Um, I'm not looking for the positives because the positives are obvious. We have got capitalism. We've got low unemployment. We've got a pretty decent job market, pretty healthy auto market, pretty healthy uh, uh, housing market, although crazy out of price. Um, midterm elections, does that have you worried at all? Um, and what, what are some of the other outside factors that might have you thinking well, you know, I think when it comes to the matter of politics, right, if we had, uh, you know, gotten caught up in, in all the political noise in 2017, uh, certainly would have missed quite a ride in the equity market. Sure. And, you know, Fair. politics is, is always going to, uh, you know, create some noise in the echo chamber, if you will. And the midterm elections will be interesting, obviously, because uh, it's seems to be a lot of uh, uncertainty right now as to whether Republicans can hold both, can uh, you know, control both houses of Congress. And, uh, and I think the market, you know, will have that in the back of its mind. It probably will cross that bridge when it gets to it. But in matters like that, that you just don't really know what the outcome is until you get the outcome, you have to reorient yourself into those factors that really are important for for stock market returns. And again, I, you know, I'm just going to draw it right back to you know those fundamental factors that are the most important considerations for any equity investor. It's earnings, interest rates, uh, those two factors in particular, and of course, what happens with inflation will will drive trends in interest rates. But um, but that's what really people should focus on. And uh, and what happens with the election will then uh, ultimately dictate buying and selling decisions on the other side of it, but wouldn't get too caught up in it ahead of those elections because you just don't know what the outcome is. That's fair enough. Um, I see in your page one report today that you talked a little bit about some of the corporate news out there, United Continental and American Airlines. Both are going higher on their fourth quarter guidance. Um, do you look at transports like airlines and like trains and like trucking companies as a leading indicator, or do you think that's kind of the, an old economic indicator that you don't use as much these days? No, I, I do continue to look at them as a leading indicator uh, when you consider, uh, you know, the, the, the footprint they have in, in, in the economy in terms of transporting people and goods uh, by rail, by air, by, by sea. Um, they are really important indicators. And in the case of like United and American, when they're, you know, raising their guidance for the fourth quarter, um, you know, that's an encouraging, encouraging factor. And, and there's some uh, added import there when you consider that, uh, with tax form having been passed and lower corporate tax rate, that you might have also a pickup in business travel here in, in 2018 that could be a good thing for those airlines, assuming, you know, oil prices don't uh, keep climbing, you know, unabated here like they have of late. So, um, but all in all, I think, 
overall earnings guidance to this point has been relatively reassuring. And that's going to be an important consideration here as the fourth quarter earnings reporting period starts to unfold uh, in the next coming weeks here, because a lot of investors, market participants, could be keeping an eye on whether the guidance coming out of that period is going to ultimately validate the, uh, the stretch valuations at which many of these stocks are trading. So I'm going to throw you a softball and say, is there anything that you're working on for 2018 in your various roles at briefing.com, Patrick O'Hare, whether it be your page one or your big picture? Is there anything that you're working on that you want to share with us at this point in time? What can we expect coming out of your uh, your pen, so to speak, in the next couple of weeks? Right. Well, um, you know, certainly in the next week here or this week, you know, I'll be doing an earnings preview for that fourth quarter reporting period, uh, as I do uh, ahead of every reporting period. Uh, but you'll probably see a lot of attention to uh, interest rate dynamics uh, across the commentary that I'll be providing and, and really those those factors that are going to ultimately be drivers of interest rates, uh, you know, certainly here in the United States and perhaps abroad. So, uh, so that'll be a focal point for me uh, over the next coming weeks. And uh, as it relates to the remainder of this week, keeping a close eye on the CPI data that comes out on Friday, uh, as that will contribute to the narrative surrounding uh, budding inflation concerns and what that might do for the Treasury market and uh, Fed policy. Thanks for your help. Thanks for coming in on a special Wednesday event for us. Start of the new year. Our schedules are in a muck, but you uh, delivered as you always do. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. You can find Briefing.com at debdebdeb.briefing.com. Patrick J. O'Hare works with Briefing.com. He starts my day every day with his page one column, a fair and insightful look into what's working on Wall Street internationally, domestically. Uh, good, strong content out of briefing.com. You can find them at briefing.com. Don't forget, I have an event coming up I'd love to see you at. Um, it's an incoming retirement event. You can sign up at Rob Black Show. Rob Black Show, use the code RADIO25. It's this Thursday, tomorrow, in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Welcome back in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. Mortgage application shot up 8.3% to start the year. There's new landscape in tax laws, and I'm going to be interested to see how real estate plays out this year. Does it shoot up in desperation? Does it shoot up in tax planning? Refinance applications led the charge, rising 11% from the previous week. Pent-up demand from the holidays likely fueled the solid jump during Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. We tend to slow down and say, you know what? I don't need to see an open house. So seeing an 11% rise in refinancing may be fueled because we're hanging out with family members. Homeowners may be taking advantage of lower rates now, concerned that rates are going to move higher this year, as they have on the 10-year Treasury. And on a lot of levels, that plays out in the mortgage market. The amount that a bank can borrow, and at what cost from the Federal Reserve and from the banking system, as those rates go higher, they're going to charge you more to give you that 30-year fixed-rate mortgage or the 15-year adjustable-rate mortgage or the five-year arm, average contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed right now, which is a conforming loan of $453,000 or less, is basically unchanged, sitting at about 4.23%. 
So that's out there. Warren Buffet, also known as Warren Buffett, but I like to call him the Buffet of Knowledge. Um, he basically said that the recent craze over Bitcoin and other cr- cr- cryptocurrencies will not end well when it happens or how or anything else, I don't know. He's like, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you it's going to go badly. He is the grandpapa. He is the granddaddy. He's the grand, I'd say wizard, but that starts to get into weird territory. He is the the big poobah of investing. And what he says about cryptocurrencies, he says it's going to have a bad ending. When it happens or how or anything else, I don't know. If I could buy a five-year put on every one of the cryptocurrencies, I'd be glad to do it, but I would never short a dime's worth. Also, Buffett's right-hand man, a guy named Charlie Munger, he's got one of those creepy, freaky eyeballs that wanders. He blasted the frothiness in Bitcoin and in venture capital funding of Bitcoin. Interesting. I love Warren Buffett. And uh, in basketball, you try to be like Michael Jordan i.e. a ball hog that shoots a high percentage. I know, I know. Did I just say he's a ball hog that shoots a high percentage? Yes. So I got that going for me. I'm like one of the only people who hates Michael Jordan. Target. Target got upgraded to positive. Um, From neutral at Susquehanna, a big research firm. And retail's not quite dead yet. Not quite dead yet for select retail, although I still think it's going to be another challenging year for retailers. But it seems like a lot of the big um, closures have happened. Target's got an overall strategy where they're going to compete with Amazon, uh, come push, pull, or shove, or what have you. They're going to do it. Um, the question is, will you do Target? Target's prepared for it. They they will do the same-day delivery, the next-day delivery. They'll do the price matching. But do you feel like when you go to Target that you have the same selection that you have at Amazon, or is Amazon just, like, miles ahead of them as far as inventory goes? Oh, very good questions. Coca-Cola's making a big change to Diet Coke, and I don't like it. There's now Diet Coke Ginger Lime, Diet Coke Twisted Mango, Diet Coke uh, Zesty Blood Orange, Diet Coke Feisty Cherry. It's changing its Diet Coke design and rolling out new marketing. Diet Coke has struggled in the last couple of years with sales dropping 1.9%. There's been all sorts of like media reports that Diet Coke will actually make you fatter than Coke. Um, Diet Coke will cure your hemorrhoids. No, there's no Diet Coke curing hemorrhoids story out there, but... Their sales volume is declining by, you know, mid-single digits. America doesn't want Diet Coke anymore. And those that are have it basically um, are saying, I'm not health conscious. I'm drinking Diet Coke. Whereas in the past, you're like, I'm health conscious. I'm drinking Diet Coke. So shoppers remain very suspicious of Diet Coke's use of artificial ingredients. Um, and I think rightfully so. Carbonated soft drinks have been a big question mark in the last three to five years. Um, Coca-Cola is trying to replicate the success of Coke Zero. Uh, Coke Zero sugar is another thing that they're going to throw out there. So all about branding and marketing. Do you feel like you get branded and marketed too? Um, I certainly do. So 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Big event coming up, Retirement Income Strategies and Estate Planning Seminar, tomorrow, Thursday, 630 to 830, Palo Alto Elks Lodge. Um, what accounts to draw from, good products, bad products, retirement, social security strategies, managing your IRAs, your 401ks. Best thing America can do right now is up 401k matches by corporate America like Visa did. We'll be talking about this and more tomorrow night, 630 to 830 Palo Alto Elks Lodge. Stocks to own for 2018. You can sign up for the event at Rob Black Show. Rob Black Show, use the code RADIO25. That's RADIO25 at Rob Black Show for tomorrow night, Palo Alto Elks Lodge, 630-830. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.